Sergeant, make it spin. Spin? S sir, it doesn't spin. What? It has to spin. It's round. But spinning is so much cooler than not spinning. I'm the general. I want it to spin. Now. Yes, sir. Hey, look at that. Welcome to The Other Side of the Gate, Episode 2. I can't remember exactly how I'm supposed to start this anymore because, you know, the first recording was a long time ago. Anyway, anyway how about you just I'm go Zach. back and say, hello. Oh, come on. It's just more fun to just All right. punt. Gotcha. All right. Hello, I'm Zach. And I'm David. And this is The Other Side of the Gate, a Walking Through the Stargate podcast. We are a semi-regular podcast uh, that talks about the plot points and the recent and possibly older episodes of Stargate and how they've impacted or will impact or might impact the show going forward. Or theoretically out, impact. Theoretically impact, yeah, all of those things. Uh, we're going to you know, call out various ideas that uh, you should have been paying attention to as we walk through this show uh, with all of the things that connect it from the past to the future. Exactly. So, uh, as you know, Zach and I both watched the show many times, probably more times we'd, than we'd care to admit. And I can be a bit trivia obsessive. Uh, Zach can be as well. And I like it when we notice little details, knowing that they can one day become something important. It's like, ooh, ooh, that's the time when the thing yes. happened, and that means yes. this. Yes. And, I like those spots. And as you'll see from this episode this week, I'm also a bit of a research nerd, and I'm happy to fall down an internet rabbit hole chasing some obscure bit of trivia. Like, oh uh, boy, are you ever. Yeah. I'm actually looking forward to following you on this uh, rabbit hole of a journey. So that'll be pretty cool. You find one thing, and next thing you know, you wake up an hour later going, oh my god, it's 10,000 years ago in Gould history. Wow. So... So, so, dear Patreon listeners, and you know, when when David and I were talking about this episode and trying to figure out what to do and when to record and all of this stuff, and I'm like, well, we could do this or this, and he's like, okay, I think don't think we can do that date because uh, I don't think I'll have enough time to get stuff written down before that. <laughs> and then, like three hours later, he's like, just kidding, I have seven pages. <laughs> yeah, I know, I. I also, as a part of my uh, real-life job, do some technical writing, so I can pound out pages of stuff on subjects for a while, oh, which yeah. is kind of what I did. I just put me in front of a computer and a place to research, and I'll come up with stuff. Wonderful. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing all you came up with and then just kind of chewing on that for a bit. So on Walking Through the Stargate, Brent and I review each episode in order. Brent has never seen these episodes before, so he's seeing each one for the first time, and then we review it. Uh, and because of that, so for that one, I try not to spoil things that will come. I will occasionally tease things as, okay, so this this is leading towards something, but I have to be very careful because I don't want to uh, make things, uh, you know, I, I want him to be surprised. Uh, yeah, and the last show you recorded, and that was on, and I've already forgotten the title of the show, the episode Rite of you Passage. Reviewed. Rite of Passage. I could tell you were chomping the bit to spoil him, but we're holding back. Oh, that was hard. Yeah. That was hard. And that's part of yeah. what we'll be discussing in this one. But, you know, Brent's not here. So we oh, don't wait, have no, to worry no, about spoilers, and we're assuming that everyone who's listening to us is happy to be spoiled. But if you're not, turn this off now. Just stop listening. 
I mean, yeah. don't, but, you know, stop listening because we're going to spoil it. I've had to tell one of my friends, you know what? I don't want you to listen to this podcast, this episode, because I'm going to spoil all 10 seasons of it. And he's only on season two right now. Oh, gosh. So I, yeah. he said, but I want to listen to it. I said, I don't want you to. I mean, I can't stop you. But, you know, it's so spoiler heavy. But that's fun for us here, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh... One of the things, you know, we're not following specific episodes. We're just kind of doing topical things. Uh, so if there is something out there that you think we need to chew on to talk about and, and wrestle with uh, as it pertains to uh, whatever part of Stargate you want to, uh, let us know. Email us uh, at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com and uh, let us know what you think we should talk about. Go ahead and put in the subject line. Uh, the other side of the Stargate or, or you know, something to talk about in, with David and Zach or something like that, whatever it is, uh, so we know what you're talking about. Because, frankly, I would love to hear what you want us to chew on, um, and that gives us something to, to go on. I mean, we've got plenty of things to talk about ourselves. Yeah. But we can talk about other things, too. Um, I'll so. chase any bit of trivia for you guys. Awesome. Uh, so you can email us at Walking Through the Stargate. Of course, you can find us on Facebook at the Walking Through the Stargate Facebook page and the Facebook group. That's another place that you can get a hold of us because Brent is almost never on Facebook. Uh, and so you, that's a safe place probably to uh, toss stuff at, at us. Uh, and, of course, you can go to Twitter at Stargate Walking. Uh, that's Brent's area mostly. So no, no if you're wandering there. through there, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think the last time I saw Brent on Facebook was about a year ago, if not longer. He probably, I think, I think occasionally I'll tell him, "Oh, Brent, you need to go and look at this," and then he'll be like, "Okay," and then he'll go and do that <laughs> <laughs> under protest. A, yeah, um, so that's that. Um, this is, of course, a show produced for the Patreon supporters, and so we say thank you very much for uh, supporting the show. Uh, talk to your friends who listen to the podcast and invite them to do the same and so that you can all listen to it together. Um, yeah, uh, we, this episode will, well, not this episode, this podcast roughly once a month is kind of what we're looking at. Um, I guess it's probably been, has it's it been closer to two months? No, it's only been about five weeks, actually. Oh, okay. Well, we're, that's good. good. Because that's why I started bugging like you last week. like seven years. Yeah, I started bugging <laughs> you last week saying, hey, we need a new show. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. So, so it hasn't been as long as it feels like in my brain. Um, and uh, so, this episode will go out to the Patreon supporters right away, um, and then of course it'll go out to on our main feed at some point in time in the future. Uh, we'll figure that out uh, later. Yeah. Right now it's what November nineteenth. So, on the Patreon feed, probably over the weekend. As for everyone yeah, else, probably. Yeah, you know, whenever they feel like it. Yep. Um, so, and of course we have, Brett and I have a couple of episodes of uh, rewatches to do. Um, so we haven't got those scheduled yet, but we will soon. Um, we'll be recording our podcast on, was it Beast of Burden? Is that what Beast the next Burden, one is? Beast of Burden, yeah. Uh, we'll be recording that on Saturday morning. Um, and I'm certain that we will talk then about when to record our first episode of the rewatch. Uh, and so that'll be coming up. What uh, episode next... do you think you're going to be doing the rewatch on? I, I forget um, what your count was, if you know off the top of your head. So I think that 
Um, the first one that crossed the line uh, of the votes needed was uh, a matter of time. I think that was the first one. So I think that'll probably be our first one. Okay. Uh, and then, if I remember correctly off the top of my head, I think Thor's Chariot was the other one. I don't understand um, why they want you to rewatch that one. That was a good episode. I don't, I don't know. Well, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't think it needed a second opinion. And stop asking well, for emancipation. Nobody wants to watch that again. That's just punishment. You know, to be fair, I, I, whomever... I, I, yeah. So, whatever. You know, if you if you really want to punish us and have us rewatch emancipation, then fill it with enough votes and we'll do so. But we won't do it until there are enough votes. I think you'll get there a lower score if you have to watch it again. Well, it can't get much lower than what we gave it. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> um, and I think uh, you're also course, looking for um, your thoughts on episode 100. Now, I will say the first time I heard you ask about that, I completely misunderstood what you said. And I thought you were asking for, what was your first reaction to the first Stargate episode you saw? And I actually recorded a minute on that. Then I went back and listened to you again. I went, uh, delete, start over. <laughs> You wouldn't have had to delete that. I mean, I think ultimately what, you know, we, I think the, the original, the thought in my head is that we'd have people talk about how uh, they interact with Stargate. Um, maybe when was the first time that you saw episode 100 and how did you respond to that? Yeah. Uh, but frankly, whatever it is, you know, um, let us know what you thought. You know, maybe as, as David first thought, uh, you know, what did you think the first time you watched an episode of Stargate? Uh, talk about that. Uh, any of those things work. Uh, you know, the 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 thing for me is to get you involved. Absolutely. That, that's that's what I was going for. Uh, so by all means, uh, get your phones out and hit that record button and talk and yammer, 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 and then email it to us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. And I might have a... How would you say this there? I might have a little something I can do with some of those in an upcoming promo if we get enough interesting words out of it. I've talked to Zach about Ooh. it. I'll keep it, you know, between the two of us right now. But if you get some good commentary in there, I might try to weave that into the promo for episode 100. That's all I'll say about that. There you go. There you there you have it. Um, we do have a couple of uh, uh, messages already, and we are certainly happy for cool. many more. So. Um, yeah. Well, David. Zach. You, about a week ago, fell down a rabbit hole uh, as we were talking about the Gould and how they operate in their uh, uh, genetic world and how they like to play with genetics of not only themselves but of other creatures. Well, as you know, how this started... Um... Zach and I t talk via messenger quite a bit. We don't talk via voice that often because we're in different time zones, so it doesn't work out that way. But via actual text conversations, we had one a while ago when I was asking for, hey, what do you want to talk about? And he, he threw out, I think, just one sentence. I'm scr scrolling through some some of my, my messages here. And I think it was, hey, we could look at some of the various things that are developed from what we learned about with the Hawktar. And that was just kind of the basis of this one, which brought me into this idea. And we talked about it a little bit about, uh, well, let's just call it Goa'uld breeding programs. Goa'uld breeding 
programs. Right. Now, I'm not necessarily okay. talking about, Mommy, where do baby gold come from? That is, we don't necessarily want to get into a long, drawn-out discussion of gold reproduction. Um, more that, we want to do a short, not drawn-out discussion of gold reproduction as an intro to some of the other subjects associated with all the things that the gold are doing in their propagation, their species, their hosts, and all the other nonsense they get into. Uh, suffice to say, this alien species, though, uh, doesn't really line up with towery genders or sexes or reproduction. So that's an interesting thing to go yeah. down to. So kind of for this beginning bit, I want to talk about how do gold reproduce and what does that really mean to us? And again, I don't want to get too technical or drawn out on that. Um, okay. So the way we got to start is there are, for want of a better term, two genders to the gold. But that's not really an accurate term, at least according to uh, Tauri standards. Uh, those little... So they don't have just like male and female gold. No, they don't. Those little snaky guys are complex there. Okay. Uh, the most common is the uh, agender or genderless. Now, some people have referred to them as asexual. That's not really correct. Asexual in modern parlance really means uh, not interested they're agender yeah. that they don't have a defined gender. And this is actually the majority of the gold. And again, we're talking about the uh, the symbiote, the little snaky guys, not their hosts. Right, because their hosts are, well, the human hosts are fairly clearly um, male or female. Yeah, at um, least they're towery hosts, yeah. The towery hosts, right. Um, and near as we can figure, the, the, uh, even the unas appear to have a more or less bisexual uh that is to say two sexual genders right sexes. sexual dimorphism uh, thank you thank you there's a technical term that i was not thinking about gotcha um so uh but i would say that yeah. the gold may have a preference in hosts while they may not have a gender themselves they do have maybe a preference so if we could borrow a term that's kind of in culture today Let's call this majority of uh, golds gender fluid. Okay. For example, Apophis has always had a male host, as far as we know. Nerti, though, she might have had a male host first because, you know, maybe Teal'c slipped up and said the wrong gender. Maybe he didn't. Maybe, yeah, maybe Nerti at that point in time in Singularity had, maybe Nerti really was yeah. a male host and would have used... Because that's what we see. We see that the Gua world will take on the pronouns of the gender of their host. Right. Uh, other hosts, like Selmak, was female before Jacob Carter took over. Osiris was male first before they got the new host. Generally, though, they're always referred to as the gender they present as, but I'm assuming in actual gold <laughs> language, their pronouns... <laughs> are quite complex beautiful or they uh, might I'm be just simple. really simple they call each other they so who knows oh yeah well they, they probably actually have a a non-gendered singular uh pronoun set that isn't uh as unpersonal yeah, non-personal exactly. as, as it for the common shall we say common gold but right. none of that really changes what the gold 
are, just how they kind of present themselves. So again, the host has a gender, but the gold itself, the common gold, is kind of genderless. But then there's the other one, the queens. The queen. Okay, so we have... We have the standard Gua'uld who are genderless, and we have the queens that... And so these are our two groups uh, within the, the Gua'uld sexual process. Right. Um, now, if you dig into, and this is where I got into my research, and we look forward a little bit, queens can reproduce on their own. They are hermaphroditic. They can mm, reproduce mm-hmm. without genetic material from anyone else and don't even need to be in a host to do this. Next season, we're going to meet Egeria, who was one of the original queens of Ra, but she's living in a, well, in a cage more or less, or a, a, yeah. a tank. But she's reproducing symbiotes without anyone's help. So what about Hathor? Hathor, well, she represents the kind of the other aspect of reproduction that they can take genetic material from someone else not necessarily in the form of uh, let's just say gametes from the host although you know apparently jack did contribute something but there are examples in daniel 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 i thought it was jack oh no she jack jack became her uh uh first jaffa and Daniel became the father of the new... Oh, okay. So he group. became the DNA donor. God, sorry. It's yeah. been a while since I've seen that one. But that was a unique method. Uh, we got to assume that the gold have been reproducing long before they met humans. And we know that they can reproduce without genetic contributions from someone else and with genetics. Um, specifically in that episode of Hathor... I know some people like that to be considered non-canon, but you know it happened. If you saw it on screen, it happened. Yeah, but whatever. So, so in the back of my head somewhere, and maybe this is me coming up with something out of my brain, or maybe this came from the episode with Hathor, or maybe it came from somewhere else. I can't remember now, uh, but I seem to remember them saying something about wanting. Uh, Maybe this is wanting some of the DNA from the ideal host species to uh, allow for blending to be more successful. Yeah, that's kind of the way they did it. That's what Hathor was saying. He said, well, I want to make some new Jaffa. I'm assuming that the Jaffa were actually another alien race. I don't think they were actually, I don't know that this is canon, that they were transported from Earth there may be another humanoid race. I don't know. That one's a little bit tougher on there. But yeah, Hathor said you wanted to use Daniel's DNA to adapt her offspring for Towery hosts to build her new race at Jaffa. Okay. But, well, yeah. yeah. They okay. do kind of use the terminology of father and mother, even though, again, the queen doesn't need a genetic contribution. She can take one. She can you know produce her own or whatever because Chlorel did call Apophis father. Hathor said Ra was her father and her husband. Egeria was once a queen to Ra and helped build his dynasty. And it's also implied that Teal'c's Primta is related to or descended from Kronos because, you know, he had visions of Teal'c's father's death. And as they have genetic memory, how else is he going to get that? So there can be a genetic contribution from the other gender 
But as Egeria shows in next season, there doesn't have to be. So the queens have control at a genetic level of what will get passed on to their gender. They have complete decision-making in that, including the genetic memories and their kind of general demeanor, which is, again, how we got Tok'ra, because Egeria was once one, was once one of Ra's queens, but she broke off and went against Ra, Tok'ra. And again, right. you'll get those plot points in season six. Queens, right. though, uh, if you think of them like um, chase cards and a trading card game, queens are rare. <laughs> got it, got it, got it, got it. Oh, hey, look at that. That's I a got a queen. One. I got uh, a queen. More actuality, queens probably choose to produce queens. But we'll see. Um, no, probably by choice of the queen mothers. But like with uh, queen bees, queens are competition. So we, we've yeah. seen only a few queens, but don't assume just because you've seen a female go all old, how they present, doesn't mean that their symbiote is a queen. Like, Hathor is a queen, but I'm going to assume Nerti isn't because she's not out there producing her own symbiotes, as far as we know. Right. So, and now what's one of the things that's, that's fascinating is like in the episode with Egeria, um... You know, they, the Tok'ra show up, and they see Egeria, and then they just realize who she is. And one of the Gu'uld, or one of the Tok'ra, uh, sacrifices uh, herself so that her host can take uh, take on Egeria as a host. Or Egeria can take her as a host. Yeah. yeah. Um, and now I can't remember for sure how much of the rather large creature that was in the tank was left there. Uh, clearly not all of that would be part yeah. of... It, it Jerry uh, was rather large and... Well, she looked like a giant pregnant go-old symbiote, I mean, I'm guessing. I think, honestly, they're still trying to... They were still at that point trying to work out the concepts. So they presented this queen as much larger, even though we saw Hathor. We just never saw her Hathor symbiote. But Ejiri was special in that regard because she had been kept alive and maintained artificially and then she had made genetic choices and it's an interesting story to go through but we don't necessarily want to talk about that story in season six sure. and as we've seen uh some of the symbiotes can actually lose parts of their body and still maintain control as we saw with um in season one when they thought they killed uh, I can't remember the guy's name. Who uh, Kowalski? Kowalski. They Kowalski. removed it, yeah. and they said, "You just removed the husk. The brain's still there, or whatever it is." Yeah. I still got to wonder about gold. How can they have that much brain power and intelligence in that tiny little snaky thing? Well, there's this thing called TV magic. Oh, TV magic. I'll have to look into that. Yeah. Yeah, I imagine so, so, along the lines of why everyone speaks English. Exactly. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And why when you have phased, you don't fall through the floor. Exactly. Oh, that's that's a, a funny story that's coming up in a few episodes, too. That That's that's true as well. So we have gotten this sense of the sexuality of ghouls. Uh, they they have basically two genders, a, a genderless or gender fluid, uh, a non-reproducing uh, 
class of uh, of Gould, and then we have a reproducing group of, of Gould that we call the queens, and they're relatively rare. And uh, how they do it, they can, but they don't have to take genetics and materials from other people, um, and they can just do it themselves, and they can control how much of their own memory they pass on through the their genes to future Gould and so on and so forth. Exactly. So okay. Gould reproduction is either insanely complex or really simple. I'm not really sure. <laughs> but as it is, you know, we told you that story so we could tell you this story. So we're not really here to talk about Gould breeding programs and how the Gould breed, but it is an interesting back note because, you know, it'll catch up to us in a moment. What we're really talking about is the hosts, mostly. Yes. So, so we, in our most recent, in Rite of Passage, we have um, Nirti coming in, and she is trying to create a Hoktar. She's trying to create an advanced human. Uh, we saw Pelops in Season 1 trying to do the same type of thing with uh, uh, Brief Candle. No, not Brief Candle. Yeah, brief, brief Candle? 100 Days. 100... No, no, 100 Days was another. No, not 100 Days. That episode where was, the thing happened. It no. was Brief Candle. Brief Candle is yeah, what it you're is. Right. Um, they only lived and, for 100 days, but they didn't use that title or something like that. Right. 100 days was when Jack got caught, uh, stuck on the planet with uh, the girl right. he was going to marry for 100 days. And exactly. Then, yeah. So, But the um, idea is that the gold are always looking for new hosts. And as we've seen, so are the Tok'ra. It's true. just the gold have access to more hosts than the Tok'ra do. Says, on their own, these little snaky things aren't much to be feared unless they get too close to you and take you over. But, you know, swimming around at lakes, you know, an unus can eat them or they can be shot by a blaster. So on their own, they're dangerous, but, you know, you can avoid them. But once they get in you, that's the problem. Now, canonically, as we know, the unus were the first and the primary hosts. And we can assume that they were the primary hosts of the Gould for a very long time. But they can actually take most any living creature as a host, most of them. There's an episode coming up called The Tomb. It's um, a couple episodes from now. Right. And we're going to see a gold um, take basically a giant bug as a host, a giant carnivorous bug that starts eating people as a host. So it's not necessarily a bipedal life form. It's like whatever they can get into. They can't use everyone as hosts. Uh, you remember R.S. Bach from Dead Man's Switch? Right. Yeah, his race right. uh, couldn't be taken as hosts. It's an interesting one. So they're, I'm assuming, again, another alien species that are relatively humanoid, but they couldn't be used as hosts, so they were kind of dangerous. Now, now want... uh, that's just a question that kind of popped into my head. <clears throat> you know, we were talking, you mentioned about the Jaffa. Are they humans? Are they Tauri? Or are they a different species altogether? Um, it's a little bit hard to tell for sure. Um, clearly, Hathor can create a Jaffa out of a human. Um, but, uh, you know, was this a situation of, of, of um, another species that, that was genetically modified uh, specifically? Or, you know, I don't know. We'll yeah, just try I, to figure out yeah, how I didn't that, even delve into about. Jaffa breeding programs. Um so, yeah, that's a good question. They Teal kind of does identify as an alien. 
uh, if you recall way back in season one, and there's a joke coming up later in the season, uh, Teal kind of had a gold tone to his skin. Mm -hmm. And they'll make a joke about that in uh, episode 100, actually. And then well, they some... still, he still has that to some degree. Yeah, they've I mean, kind of downplayed like... it. I yeah, think it, it... there's one episode way off in the future where I think it's uh, Citizen Joe. He looks at Teal and goes, Did you used to be gold? <laughs> yeah. So to me, that would imply they might be an alien species. Um, I don't, I don't know if we've really established that the gold had Jaffa before they came to Earth, so they could have, you know, captured a couple and set up their own Jaffa breeding program. Because yeah. canonically, uh, the gold are supposed to be the only hosts before Earth. Although the wait, the, who? I'm the, sorry, the Unas. The, the Unas. Unas were supposed okay. to be the primary hosts. Uh, if you dig into your research, uh, the first Gold who basically organized everything was uh, a ghoul called Atok. And again, this is all like based off of RPG and other people's writings. But he was he had taken an Unas as a host. And many of the other ghouls had taken an Unos in, as a host. And we also have to assume there had been conflicts with the other races. The Nox, the Ancients possibly, the Asgard, the Furlings. Prior to that ever making it Earth. And if you want to look at it sideways, you could almost take it that Ra had an Asgard as a host when he first came to Earth. Hmm. Because the first shot of him... In the flashbacks where he took the the kid who we now know as Ra, he was in a definitely a gray alien. Now, there were some physical differences. We'll write that up to movie magic. But that was also 10,000 years ago. So the Asgard may have looked a little bit different back then. And I know we kind of treat the movie as canon, not canon. We ignore the parts we don't like, like... Um, Abydos was supposed to be on the farthest planet away in the universe, and now it's actually kind of the nearest planet to Earth. That's true, yeah. But I've always looked at that whole as... I've heard that story online about, you know, maybe Ra's first host or previous host was a, it was an Asgard. Uh, and you're right. When you look at the pictures, it kind of looks like maybe it could be. I've always chalked that up to a different version of of the stargate canon and you know this is one of the spots where it's not really part of the it was the on the other side of the quantum mirror shall we say there you go maybe i don't know they there is a shot where there's something that looks like an asgard but you know movie magic take it whatever you want uh some sources say that that asgard was famrir that's not canon though that was just someone writing not me this time though <laughs> but uh the point being is that um that was 10,000 years ago, according roughly on the timeline. And that for all that time, the it's assumed that the Unas had been the hosts for the gold. And even uh, the gold, the original Unas that we met, James Earl Jones, uh, he claimed to be the first. Eh, we'll see. Uh, that was back when Unas just meant number one rather than an entire race. But he still had a gold symbiote, and he was a... You know, a, an eloquent Unas possessed by a Goa old. Yeah. Um, if we want to say that it was an Asgard, they weren't really compatible, hence the of a dying race. 
again, we can take the movie as nice and ignore the parts we don't like and set it up as a concept. I mean, they weren't even called Go Old. It was just raw and yeah. no one else. But it is generally assumed that the Gold were on a decline until they found the humans. And the humans seem to be great hosts of them. And I think we could probably come up with an entire show on what happened in the 10,000 years prior to the Gold coming to Earth. Uh, suffice to say, uh, according to legend, there were other Gold prior to Earth. Ra was around, Apophis was around, Anubis was around, Hathor, Egeria, Nut, Thoth, and the system lords were a thing prior to Earth. There was a problem, things happened, they came to Earth, and they rebuilt their ascendancy. But hmm. what we do know is that the ghouls extend the life of the host. That's true. But the host isn't immortal. We've seen, well... You know, Selmak, Selmak was dying, or rather, Selmak's host was dying of old age, supposedly. Right. And and she was going to take Selmak with her unless yeah. Selmak could find a new host. Yeah, and that was Jacob Carter. Right. And then in an episode upcoming this season, we're going to see Lord Yu is coming up against some age-related issues. It's could go either way, whether it's the gold or the host or a combination of both, but we know that Yu is... a kind of a stubborn guy so who knows but but he's gotten to a point in that episode he gets to a point where the sarcophagus is no longer able to fully heal the body right so again the host is not immortal they may live a long time the sarcophagus can pr prolong them but not indefinitely so they need new hosts at some point we don't always see it happen Many of them, it doesn't happen. But like we saw with the Tok'ra, and as we've seen with some other ones, they're on the lookout for new hosts. So we have a group of aliens who discovered at some point in time that they can take control of other beings and use those other beings' bodies to interact with the rest of the world. Exactly. Uh, they started off with the Unas. At some point in time in the future... Uh, they discovered humans, um, perhaps there were other races, perhaps they, they interacted with the Asgard and were able to take the Asgard as a host occasionally here or there. Um, we don't know. Um, but then uh, there is a recognition that these hosts uh, can last for a very long time, but the human body, presumably the Unas body, uh, will eventually die, and there's no amount of technology or artificial healing or, you know, ghouled magic healing with Nakoda that can stop that from happening. Yeah. And I wonder if the ghouled themselves, the little snaky boys, are immortal or long-lived as well. So, well, we know that they are. Yeah. Because, I mean, obviously they have a, a lifespan, Um Selmak runs into that, uh, and we see that in what season eight or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, when and... Selmak dies. Yeah. Uh, and takes Carter Jacob with him. Yeah. Um, so they have a lifespan. Yeah, they do. Um, they it's a very long lifespan, and probably also prolonged by the use of the sarcophagus. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. So so uh, because they're always looking out for new hosts, some of them are trying to make their own. 
which brings in us their to the... vein in their yeah. vein yeah they're they're vain which... they want perfection on there so in terms of perfecting that brings us to the harcesis or the harcesis okay. children now i'm using uh the plural it's not the harcesis child it's the harcesis children so tell us what okay. a harcesis is so uh what I have known about a harcesis, and you've done more research now because you've dug deep into this, but based on what I've seen, uh, the harcesis is a human child of two hosts, uh, ghouled hosts. So in this case, uh, the one we see, uh, Shifu, uh, is the child of Amanet and Apophis. Uh, now, the biology of the child is the biology of Shaorei and Apophis's host. We don't actually ever know yeah, his, his name. Ancient Egyptian scribe, right. Right. So uh, that's where the genes came from, but there was something within the blending process of becoming a host that uh, messes with the human's uh, genetic process because... Right. The Harcesis child that's born now is fully human, but also apparently has uh, the genetic memory of the Gulwuld in them, which now becomes, is this a way that the uh, non-reproductive Gulwuld can pass on their genes or their well, memories? I'm going to assume that Amonet was a queen. I mean... Apophis did refer to her as my queen. Mm. So because the queen controls the genetics of the child, I'm assuming the queen is able to control the genetics of the Harcesis child. But, you know, Harcesis is knowledge forbidden. Right. Um, that's a fascinating little bit there. I, I hadn't thought that far ahead. Yeah, now that um, it just came to me. <laughs> So, but, and I don't know if I buy it. Uh, there is nothing that we see along the way that would suggest that Amonet is a uh, queen in the way that Egeria is or the way Hathor is. But, of course, um, in show timeline, Amonet had only been around for a couple of years. Yeah. I mean, if you think of show timeline, uh, they're in, what, 2001 right now? Ra's right. only been dead for seven years. He died nineteen hmm. no seven nine years. He died ninety four, was it or ninety six? Um, so oh yeah, something like that. So she may be a queen who just hasn't reproduced, or you know, Apophis got her host and said, "Okay, now here's the plan." And she yeah. went, "Okay." I mean, she was still a young, or a, yeah, uh, Share was the first host for Amonet because she had been in Primtom before that. So yeah. It's a thought. Yeah, well, it, it's certainly an option. It's a yeah. possibility. Now, from that, because we know that Harcesis are forbidden because they carry the genetic knowledge of both hosts in human form, the Goal Old consider this among their forbidden functionality. So we have to assume there have been harcesis in the past because how can you forbid something unless you already have experience with something? True. True. And uh, it sounds like there might be some interesting fanfic, um, like an Unos harcesis. Oh, wow. Oh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. 
Um, now, the first Harsesis that we know of in show order, as we said, is the child of Apophis and Amonet, a uh, kid we came to know as Shifu. And uh, Shifu is an interesting case because he was Harsesis, but got involved with the ancients. That's true. Or and rather, the ancients, yeah. well, specifically, um, oh gosh, Oma de Sala. Oma de Sala, thank you. Uh, Oma, you know, blocked his genetic memory so that he had this memory but didn't uh, yeah blocked his memory but also told him how to control the memory because in that episode it was kind of dealing with you know how do you deal with all that knowledge and he simply kind of says i don't i don't allow myself to have that knowledge so it was sound like a learned choice so he did have that knowledge knowing it would have been you know the ultimate evil or whatever so but did you know there are other Harsesis child in Stargate canon? There are, huh? There is one more. Okay. Um, in Stargate Origins, which I don't necessarily recommend anybody watch, because it's so just I've not, seen it. Yeah, it's I don't it's remember okay. much about it. It'll they take some liberties with storyline, like they're powering a Stargate with World War Two era jeeps. Or pre World War II era jeeps because it was actually take took place before World War II, and right. other things associated. And there's some other nonsense. And you know, it was an attempt by MGM, I think, to well, let's not talk bad about them on there. But they made a story. They made a new story. It's okay. They wiped everyone's memory at the end of the story. But there was a Harsesis child in that s- story, uh, a set who was the then ruler of Abydos under and underlord to Ra produced a Harsesis child of her own. Now, we don't know who hmm. the father was, but we do know Ra found out and had a set and the child killed. Okay. So, there is more than one, and there is potentially even a third one. Now, this one's upcoming in Season 7, the episode Resurrection. This one is not directly a Harsesis, but it's a genetic offspring of a human child and the Gold Sekhmet, as produced by the NID. That's right. Now, now it wasn't done via traditional reproduction. Uh, they took a, essentially an egg donor and DNA from Sekhmet and basically made their own Harsesis child, who did have the memories of Sekhmet, sort of. Uh, we're going to see in an episode of uh, Resurrection that... Uh, the child kind of has a split personality. When the child's awake, it's Anna, is the name of the child. Mm-hmm. But when she's asleep, Sekhmet takes over. But right. it's kind of a Harsesis. Yeah, kind of you know, I hadn't thought of that as Harsesis uh, when I watched the episode. Um, and yet, you know, as you talk about that, it certainly uh, warrants being talked about in this point in time because you know she definitely is human um you know With so she doesn't memories. have a a distinct um she doesn't have a distinct gould insider and yet there is some gould dna within her system within her makeup that yeah. creates that so you know i yeah i'll buy that that she, that she didn't is, have a gold gold that's true. So um, it's a possibility. It's, you know, an almost harsesis. So call it that. But it's still kind of the concept. 
And uh, I'm assuming Anna slash Sackman would have made an interesting host for someone because there would have been almost two golds in there. Of course, then you well, got to get been... into the concept of genetic memory and how does that work? Well, yeah. And, and that's another way down path to go to. Like, can a gold uh, reincarnate? I mean, there was an original gold called Apep, who was the kind of the basis for Apophis. And I think at one point Daniel did refer to his Apophis as Apep. Hmm. So is he the reincarnation of Apep due to genetic memory? I don't know. There's another rabbit hole to go down to. Anyway, so the Harcesis, at least designed by Apophis, was supposed to be his perfect host. But it's kind of a dead now, end for the gold. Here's my question. Yeah. Uh, with the Harcesis. And you probably don't have an answer, but that's okay. So the Harcesis is supposed to be this perfect host that, you know, um, that uh, blends the, the, the genetic memory of the, the Gould parents with the human. And presumably when... I'm trying to figure out what exactly is Apophis get, or whomever, getting out of this Harcesis child when they take it as a host. That's um, a darn good question. I don't know what that they makes really... it so special. No idea. That was plot points they never answered. You could think of he's human and he has the combined powers of the Goa old without being a Goa old. But if he has Apophis's genetic memories, why would Apophis want to take him as a host? Because then know. he'll have his memories twice. Yeah. Well, then he just, yeah, that'd be real confusing. Yeah, yeah. I don't. That's probably along the lines of why it's kind of a dead end. Right. Um, I, I could think... understand why the Gulawuld would want to not have Harcesis running around. Right. Because the Gulawuld, being who they are, would not want humans to be running around with their own genetic memory. Yeah. I could understand that. They're a threat. Um, they would be a threat. Um, and so... I could understand why the Gould would not want Harcesis children out there, but I don't understand why a Harcesis child would make such a great host. Yeah. And this brings us to uh, clearly uh, that's other Gould recognize that the Harcesis aren't the epitome of hosts, and they're looking for something else as yeah. well. And that brings us to the Hoktar. Absolutely, the advanced humans. So, what is a Hoktar? An advanced know. human. Yeah, Hawk for advanced and Tower, short for Towery. So, yeah, right. it's an advanced human. Now, we just saw our first one in Rite of Passage. And the way I saw it, it was... Nerity was trying to build a super-powered host. Yeah. With, you know, psychic powers or mental powers or something like that. It's an interesting story to go down to. She was trying to build her own hosts... That was far more powerful than your standard human. Mm -hmm. So there's that idea. And that brings into a lot of such as, you know, genetics and what is she actually doing? What's her end game? It is kind of implied again that she was trying to build a new host, but she had been experimenting for a long time. But Nerti is, well, she's an interesting subject altogether, wouldn't you say? Well, yeah, she's... You know, we see in this episode, you know, her, she's been working on this for a very long time. Yeah. On uh, the planet Hanka. Yeah, that was basically this. her 
whole laboratory there. Yeah. The whole planet. And, and of course, Pelops is doing... Uh, I suspect that Pelops was doing something very similar or trying to do something similar. He was trying um, to advance the evolution of humans by saying, right. well, if I just make them get old faster, then the genetic drift for evolution will be quicker. But, you know, right. Pelops disappeared or whatever. I, he maybe had some wrong ideas. It seemed to be an abandoned theory. But, yeah, it was still along the lines of building a better host. So, right. yeah, you could say Pelopses were Hoctars, even though they didn't give them the term. These were explicitly Hoctars, though. I would uh, think, based on what I... If I were to parse this out, I think would say Pelops was probably working to develop an advanced human. Yeah. Um, but... By the time we meet the people on that planet, planet, um, they haven't gotten there yet, um, and maybe that's because it was just a bad experiment, which it was. Maybe it was because it was abandoned, which it probably was. Um, maybe you know, whatever Pelops it was. Died. May, who knows? Yeah. Whatever it was, uh, I think that there was an attempt to make an advanced human uh, or an evolved human. However, we want to talk about that, right? Um, but I don't think it it led to anything. Nearty is doing something similar, uh, in some cases more long term, but also more invasive. Whereas Pelops was just saying, "Well, let's see what happens if we just speed the clock up by yeah. you know a hundred times." I think Nearty's um, science is better than Pelops's. Yeah, he oh, was absolutely. trying to speed things up. Nearty playing the long game because she's long lived. Right. So this is your chance to say what you couldn't say to Brent. Yeah. What now I just have to remember on? what I was holding back. <laughs> well, uh, I'll give you a hint. Uh, Nerti's okay. story and the story of the Hawktar continues in right. season six. So, so here we, you know, she's like, I want uh, Cassie's genetics. And they're like, nope, can't have it. Okay, I'll have to start over. And sure enough, she does that. And she does start over. Uh, presumably, she starts slow. But by the time we meet her again, she has found some sort of ancient technology which allows her to speed up the process significantly. And she is now able to create a, a whole society of people with superpowers. Because I think that is... And even when we get to uh, Apophis's son, whatever his name is... Uh, no, oh no, I'm sorry, not Apophis, Anubis's son. Oh yeah, uh, Anubis's son in the future. Um, His uh, kind of son, yeah, exactly. Kind of, you know. So the the Hoktar is somebody who uh, has uh, what we would call superpowers. Who has telekinesis, uh, telepathy, uh, strength, perhaps. Uh, you know, you're talking about, you know, all of your X-Men powers and whatnot um, is what's going on. However, yeah. of course, Nearty, when she was experimenting with all of these people, um, they were all significantly deformed. Yeah. Now, you brought and, up X-Men. Uh, I oh, want to... Yeah. There's an okay. interesting connection on there. Now, in the episode Metamorphosis, uh, one of her experiments basically gets all gooey and eventually dissolves into water. Which is oh, that's right. enough yep. a plot point in the X-Men movie from the movie uh, from 2000. That Magneto hmm. 
did some experiments to try to mutate a human, to advance a human. Now, he had a big plan to mutate all of New York or something like that. He ultimately only did one guy. But that guy also got all mushy and gelatinous and eventually dissolved into water. That's true. But That's true. the X-Men movie came out in 2000. This episode, Metamorphosis, uh, comes out in uh, 2003. So, they take a storyline... Or was it just an inadvertent coincidence? Hmm. It's a thought. I don't know. It was just one of those things that came across. You know, I, I, I could actually buy it as, as either one. Yeah. Uh, we know that the writers of Stargate like to um, steal from other sources and call it an homage. Yeah. Uh, Most writers do that. If they're caught deliberately, then it's, no, it's an homage. It's a similar concept. But I don't fault them for that one. It was oh, just no. a... No, she has a mutation device. She mutates humans to make them better. One of them dissolves into water. Hey, I think I've seen that before. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, but, yeah, that was just one experiment on there. But, so, she is continuing her uh, Hoktar experiment. So, we've got the uh, the first one we've saw. Well, potentially the Pelops. They might be considered advanced humans. They didn't really seem to have any advanced capabilities other than they aged quicker and got smart quick, which is nice if you're only going to live 100 days or so. Got um, smart quick is <laughs> is a loose term there. <laughs> well, no, they're born one day. Next day, they're working in the fields. You know, a couple of days later, you know, they're, I don't know. They seem to advance I mean, quickly. And that we'll admittedly, just go they, they apparently go through a cognitive process yeah. each day equal to a year, such that by the time they're 35 days, they are... Uh, got the capacity of uh, the brain power of a standard 35-year-old right. person. Yeah. Let, let's just All go right. with TV magic again on that one. I, I, I approve. So, our third Hoktar <laughs> yes. is Jonas Quinn. Maybe. Jonas Quinn, Maybe. who we'll, we okay. will meet in Season 6. He ties into that episode Metamorphosis, because uh, Nerti says, hang on, I need to use you as a... Uh, baseline just stand there i'm not going to do anything evil to you she did uh -huh. something evil to him and yep. he starts to exhibit powers and he ties it back wait a minute i was in nerti's device and i think she did oh, something my to goodness. me so now is help me out on the timeline here when when um jonas begins to develop these special powers is that at the end of season six is that yeah. one of the things that leads to his departure that's part of it part of it is also uh i need to go back to my home planet my people need me and plus daniel's alive again right so it, it was writing and whatever on there i think they were using it as a way to they you know they were getting daniel back we can't have two daniels on the show so, Jonas, sorry, we're going to write you out by giving you superpowers and sending you back to your home planet to help you. You know, <laughs> Poochie's on the way back to his home planet to save his people. Thank you for the there Simpsons reference if you got it. I um, don't know enough Simpsons to get the reference. Don't worry. Someone's laughing right now. I'm sure somebody is. So It's just not me. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> so... He might be a Hawktar mainly because he got experimented on by Nerti inadvertently, or at least without his knowledge, 
and he starts to exhibit superpowers as a result of this some sort of superpowers we won't get into the specifics here right now there is depending on your point of view not as a result of gold experiments or breeding programs another Hoktar, or rather let's just call it an advanced human and that's rodney mckay okay in so... stargate atlantis he gets hit by something from an ancient device and by ancient we mean the ancients that starts to give right. him psychic powers or something like that. It's been a while since I've seen that episode, but it. Uh, what it, season's that in? Uh, I'd have to look up. It's the episode is the Tau of Rodney. I'd have to look up when that episode is. Uh, I know it's not first season. Season three, season episode three. four. Yeah. So we got the Tau of Rodney, season three, episode fourteen. Oh, he gets zapped by a mysterious device left by the ancient. Rodney McKay begins to evolve into a superhuman. He basks in his newfound powers as his team struggles to deal with his new thing, but uh, it's really actually doing bad things to him. So it's, you know, Rodney's reevaluating his life with these new superpowers, but he seems to fall into the category of an advanced human. Hmm. He's not mm-hmm. a Goa old Hoktar. The Goa didn't experiment on him. He got zapped by something, but... It's kind of a sideways approach to that idea. So here is here's another uh, rabbit hole to fall down. Are the ancients, or the ancients before they ascended, Hoktar? We know that they were further along in the evolutionary process um, because humans we discover are the second evolution of this form and shape. Sort of, kind uh, of The yeah. ancients were the first one. But were the ancients functionally Hoktar? I would say, by our definition of the current Tauri related to the ancients, yes. They are the original Tauri, and they are advanced beyond the current Tauri, if you want to use the term they have for the humans on Earth. And this begs the question, did the Gulwuld interact with the ancients i'd have to dig into the timeline i think minimally yeah, we know they did. that obviously they did with you know, the Gua world uh are familiar on with some level with with the the asgard right and, and they obviously uh, know of ancient tech because they're using the stargate right but i think um, the ancients as we know them had more or less moved on so here's an interesting little storyline I have here. So we have the Gua'uld who are using Unas, and then they they find humans and they take humans as hosts. And they're, this is all wonderful and dandy, but uh, what if this whole process of finding a Hoktar is really the Gua'uld's attempt to say, hey, we heard about those really advanced humans, and I want those advanced humans, you know, the ancient humans. They were cool. Not, not these puny towery people i want better ones there's so a this whole process is trying to get back to creating in us the ancients so that there you go well in the there's uh, my theory that's not a bad one in the original four races of the ancients the nox the furlings and the asgard those were the four races who united the galaxy you notice they did not include the gold that's true so they may have come along with their little Unas bodies, not little, um, after the ancients had ascended. And 
that again, that's another storyline of the ancients. I I will say though, um, as we will see in, I think in season seven and definitely in season eight, the ancients may have left, but not all of them. And some of them did interbreed with the humans because mm-hmm. there is the concept of the ancient gene. That is a major plot point through, well, at least, you know, in the Battle of, of Antarctica and into Stargate Atlantis, and only certain people get to do certain things because they have the ancient gene, which tells us that not all the ancients left be- ascended. Some may have stayed behind, and we'll meet a few of them, like Merlin. He's an ancient who didn't yeah. ascend. And a few others, and then we got the woman frozen in ice, or the stasis chamber, who's an ancient. So, yeah, I would think the ancients would qualify as Hoktar, at least from our point of view, because they Mm -hmm. are humans who are advanced beyond what normal humans do. But they're just kind of way advanced by this point, because they're now just ethereal thought clouds up on another dimension or something like that. Or constantly having lunch in a diner or something like that. Which uh, is is a fascinating philosophical and metaphysical uh, uh, idea and, and process, but uh, let's not yeah. dig into that. Yeah, we got a few seasons till we get to the uh, the ancient yep. diner. Okay, so so we have the Hoktar, um, but we also learn that the Gould aren't always just concerned about uh, advancing their own hosts. They're also looking at advancing. They're warriors. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that brings up the Kull warriors. Uh, you could almost think of them as advanced Jaffa, but that's not at all accurate. They are warriors like the Jaffa are, but they are completely different. So this is, again, kind of the third approach to the Gold breeding program, and this is almost all about uh, um, Anubis coming up. Um, right. So, um, so this is genetic engineering of both the host and the Goa'uld to make the perfect soldier, uh, who we'll come to know in Season 7 as the Kull Warriors. And also because, you know, the Jaffa are proving to be uh, unreliable at this point. There's mm-hmm. more and more dissension, mm-hmm. dissension in the ranks. And this is, again, Anubis who's doing all this. Uh, so they are a race of artificially created life forms designed by the Goa'uld we will come to know as Thoth. I guess that's how you pronounce that, for Anubis. Now, Thoth, according to lore, let's just call it that, is one of the original system lords, along with Ra and Nut, until Ra, or Nut, but I prefer to say Nut because it's more fun, uh, until Ra became supreme. Yeah, Uh, (laughs) yeah. Ra, Thoth, and Nut, uh, back in their original, I guess... um, Unas forms. They were the first three system lords. Again, this goes back into the prehistory of the gold. But right. until Ra becomes supreme. Uh, Thoth is the designer of the prototype sarcophagus. He is responsible for okay. the introduction of Nakwada into the gold. Hmm. And he eventually allied with Anubis during uh, the rebellion, shall we say, when uh, Anubis's crimes were revealed. Uh Thoth, this I is before s- Anubis ascends. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, I kind of view Thoth as the mad scientist. Um, if you want to go into pop culture, a show I like called Archer, Thoth is kind of like Dr. Krieger. 
No, he's conducting okay. his own experiments. He's doing stuff, and sometimes it benefits the Goa'uld, starting with his prototypical sarcophagus. Now, the original uh, sarcophagus did its job, but it also damaged the host considerably. So, it, well, kind of what it does now, but on a, did it much quicker on there. And that came where uh, Nakwata came along to make it a little bit better. But after he aligned with Anubis, he just became the, the mad scientist in the background. Now, okay. something we got to take into account with the Cull Warriors is this thing called the Telchak device. Right. This was an ancient device. So we're going back to the ancients again, designed to heal. So it was found. And when we say Telchak, I'm actually talking about another Gwold. Telchak found this thing and go, hey, I think we can use this to heal. Oh, shoot, it's dangerous to humans. But he hmm. did use it to perfect the sarcophagus, according to some lore. But the Telchak device, which was supposed to heal but could have been dangerous, kind of like the uh, sarcophagus is, heals but is dangerous, as we will see in an upcoming episode, becomes the basis for what we know as the Fountain of Youth. Um, oh, yeah, that's right, yeah. During the rebellion... Uh, Telchak warred with Anubis over the original Telchak device that he found, and he hid it away in South America, again, where we get the legend of the Fountain of Youth. But okay. at some point in upcoming history, I don't know that it's happened yet, because uh, Anubis is just now coming back to power, and I think um, Thoth is getting ready to gear up his labs again. Uh, it's There's going to be a search for it, and Thoth is going to find it first. I mean, they're going to follow the Fountain of Youth legends and story, story, story upcoming in Season 7. But from this, from the Telchak device, we're going to get the Cull. The Cull are hosts essentially genetically engineered and modified by the Telchak device. You can also th almost think of them as Frankenstein monsters. They're okay. constructed bodies reanimated by the Telchak device. That's the first part. The cull are being bred to have physical capabilities well beyond those as a normal human. You remember anything about the cull? So, um, you know, I'm I'm just imagining, you know, a the first time we meet the cull, there the there's that one warrior that takes out an entire group of Jaffa, and. Uh, Jack gets all happy because he takes out the one guy there, but no, in fact, he just died on yeah. them. And then eventually they end up in a pyramid or something of Anubis, and they see thousands upon thousands of cold warriors, yeah. uh, you know, standing and saluting, um, you know, yeah. the bad guys and all that stuff. Yeah, these are yep. almost uh, kind of Anubis's personal Jaffa. If you want to think, they're they're warriors. We yeah. first see them; they're are all in black. They uh, they don't have a quite Darth Vader mask on, but they're masked from head to toe. Uh, by their design, they're resistant to toxins, poisons, well beyond what the Jaffa can resist. They can go without oxygen because their lungs are huge, and they have equipment built into their armor and their masks that you know allow them to do that. But they do have a, a little shortcoming. Yeah, they're powerful, but at the expense of power co comes decreased longevity. They don't live long. Right. Uh, Selmak is going to describe them 
is that their muscles are so strong that the heart is strained to keep up with supplying enough blood and oxygen, and eventually they'll die of heart attacks after a short lifespan. But they're designed to be disposable warriors. Now, right the, now, we're talking about the the human the human part side of, of the cull warrior because right? the cull are essentially two things. So, remember what we said about gold queens to bring it all the way back to our first subject, mm-hmm. uh, controlling mm-hmm. the genes of their offspring. The cull are implanted with what we could essentially call a blank symbiote. Um, okay. You know, normal symbiotes got genetic memory that make them unreliable as foot soldiers. You know, you put one in a host, he gets all megalomon... Megalo- uh, you know what I'm trying to say? Megalomaniacal. Thank you so much. It's a tough word to say. It is. So, they're not good warriors. They immediately want to take over. But the queen that spawns these symbiotes, although we don't know who it is, because it's never identified, um, basically blanks them. And they don't right. have any genetic knowledge. So they get all the powers and abilities of a Goa'uld without the... Uh... With the megalomania. Yes, there we go. So they get everything. Um, they get the healing powers, but they can't compensate for the deficiency of the host body, but they basically prolong their life. So they get almost all the benefits of a symbiote while leaving the blo- warrior essentially a blank, powerful, but blank slate to be programmed by Anubis. Okay, yeah. there. They're a big threat for seasons uh, eight and nine. Yeah, they uh, are one of Julie's favorite villains. They are. They the are. Um, the yeah. Jaffa are good, but they're disposable bad guys. Because, mm-hmm. oh, look, we just took out a thousand Jaffa with a machine gun. Okay, they're a threat, but yeah, we know. They're, yeah, they're generic foot soldiers. They don't really have right. any personalities. Not that these guys have personalities, but they are a major threat when we see what one can do and what it takes to take out one. And, and then they we... have to create an entirely new uh, weapon. Yeah. That that will disrupt the the what does it do? Disrupt the, the Ghoul World's control on the host or something yeah. like that. And that really so just that... leads into the whole how do we get rid of the gold once and for all storyline that goes through season seven and eight mm. when mm-hmm. the, uh, essentially the gold empire falls. They are mostly under the control of Anubis. Uh, our buddy ball does briefly have control over them, but then Anubis comes back and then, you know, they get wiped out, but yeah, right. they are scary in terms of what they can do. And I would agree with Julia that they are a good foil, a good, bad guy good army just think of a an army of unstoppable gold possessed warriors who can do pretty much anything they want so yeah they're yeah. a good foil on there but one of the nice things that about the cull warriors is that um you know when they're introduced they're nigh uh unstoppable and even when the storyline comes to an end they're still threatening creatures threatening bad guys so uh it, that actually leads to good storytelling and uh, good uh, development yeah and you remember the first episode where they actually took off the mask of the cull and you go oh jeez, that's yeah. what's underneath that that was kind of gross yeah it's cool but gross absolutely oh yeah yeah so they're a good threat we won't get to see them till season seven though oh, so man. we got a while for wait. them uh, just wait. assume that Anubis and Thoth are back there 
in their labs starting things up working on this right now and but they really won't begin get the program seriously going until uh, season seven when they get the telchak device because that's really the the thing they've been looking for that's their quest that they have to solve before they can really uh get them up and going okay right so that makes sense yep our last gold breeding program now this is a stretch to call it a gold breeding program but it is about the perfect host and in this case this is the clones of ball oh yes i love hate ball he's obviously a horrible character he's a gold he does terrible things he's gonna kill jack so many times in one episode and he's not a nice guy but he's a fun villain he is uh i, I like the way he go ahead sorry so i was just thinking you know when we first meet ball in this season here yeah. season uh five when we get to the summit yeah uh but he's uh certainly an important gulawuld but the character other than being an important Gulawuld, really doesn't have a lot. That's not where the story is. No, of that not story. at all. Not this ball here. The ball we meet in season five, we'll just call him Ball Prime, I'm assuming. Uh, the best description we get of him is kind of the, you know, watch your back. He may ally with you, and but he may also stab you in the back for his own reasons. So he's sure. that kind of a guy. He is always out for himself. If nothing else, anything he does is only to benefit himself, which is why... Well, we get up to this idea of Ball cloning himself. Mm. Because Ball loves himself so much, he doesn't need to mess with trying to make a perfect host. He is the perfect host. And his symbiote <laughs> is perfect. So why mess with perfection? I'm just going to make another one of myself. So okay. he clones himself. And when we say clone, he's cloned himself and the gold symbiote. So it's not just simply another host for him to enter, but he's talking about the whole package. Uh, the idea really is, you know, he needs to be more than one place at a time. If he wants to be supreme, he needs to be everywhere. Uh, to, shall we say, oversimplify the plot, by the end of Season 8, Ball is the last surviving System Lord. There are, hinted at, there might be Underlords and other Gold, but the System Lords are gone except for Ball. So to manage his new empire, since he can't be in more than one place at a time, he defines a way to be in more than one place at a time by cloning himself. And who are you going to trust more than yourself? Absolutely. There's even an, an episode where all several clones of Ball are in one room discussing their plans and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. uh, there are some hints that his cloning program may have started before we know it started. So to give you a little backstory of that one, Again, I don't okay. want to try explain everything about Ball because that's a long story. Um, so we meet him in season six. We learn about a group called the Committee in season six. This is basically the people who left the NID because the NID weren't evil enough. Or the NID had been <laughs> dissolved or something like that. So we have some rogue NID elements like Senator Kinsey. After the downfall of the Committee... A new group called the Trust emerges, composed of remnants of the committee and other interests, like business guys. Adrian Conrad, upcoming in this season, is a prototype for someone who might be on the Trust. The, the Trust, right. Okay. right. So, the Trust is the remnants of the committee, plus some other people. There's a couple business people who get involved in them as well. 
But at some point, the gold infiltrate the trust. And I think at one point they said, wait, we're all gold? Oh, cool. And <laughs> by season nine, Ball is in control of the trust. So if we can assume that the trust is taken over by the gold and Ball takes over the trust, we got to assume, and it's a clone of Ball that's leading the trust, that Ball said, okay, I need to go do this. Let me clone myself and let's go mess around in this area there. So maybe he's a clone. That's all just conjecture on my part. But we know Ball likes to clone himself. We know that the Ball that's leading the trust is a clone. So perhaps he's cloned himself earlier. We'll see hmm. that. Okay. Uh, all this comes up by uh, in Season 9, actually. I mean, the clones start to show up in Season 8 by Season 9 is when we meet this particular clone in an episode called Ex Deus Machina. Uh, so we can assume that if Ball took control of the trust and the trust had been under control of the ghoul, then Ball probably orchestrated everything and it was probably a clone of Ball who did that. That's just conjecture on my part, though. It's a possibility, though. So anyway, that story. Okay. Uh, Ball's clones, as we know, are an ongoing storyline through season 9 and 10 and into the movie Continuum. Yeah, so I was just thinking about the, the movie Continuum um, because... I've seen it, but I can't remember anything about it at this point in time. It's, I won't say it's the best Stargate story. It's kind of, they wanted to wrap up SG-1 because they had, well, Ball was still around. They kind of left it at season 10 that we've defeated the Ori, we've defeated the Gold, and everything's off, and the Jaffa are free and having parties and everything's awesome and... No, the replicators are gone. Oh, sorry about the Asgard. But, you know, we've fixed everything. Ball's still around. Ball's yeah. still there. So it starts off, they've captured Ball, and they're going to extract a symbiote to end the gold forever. But then we find out there's another Ball clone somewhere in the past, and he hits the reset button before the Stargate program even begins. Something like that. I, I It's been a while since I've seen that. So it's a long story. We'll talk about that later at some point. But suffice to say, at the end of the story... That's reset as well. So they hit the reset button once again, but basically it ends with the removal of the ball symbi symbiote of the final ball ever. Uh, that being said, Ball is not the only clone in Stargate. We know that. Uh, we got the right. Asgard. We got the Eurondans. They've been messing around with cloning. Uh, we got the Tauri have actually done some cloning, uh, as we'll see... Uh, upcoming in this season, we got Adrian Conrad. He starts uh, a symbiote cloning program, although it's not obvious that's what's happened. We don't actually see that until season six, where the symbiote clones that he's made, I don't know, escape somehow, and they take over a town. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That so was... that was Nightwalker. So yeah. Just a little history for myself. Um that was right around the time when I first got a chance to start watching uh, Stargate live. Uh-huh. Or as close to live as as I remember at that point in time. And I I've seen, had seen plenty of episodes prior to that. Um, and so we get to Nightwalkers, and I see this guy, Jonas. And he's running around. I'm like, who is this guy, and where is Daniel? Yeah. Because I had not seen the transition there. Um, uh, so that was 
kind of you know just that one of the first time memories that I have of of that episode, and it's a creepy episode. Yeah, it is. It's it's got a creepy title, Nightwalkers. We got these ghouls, not zombies, but we got these things walking around at night. Yeah, it's uh, I remember it as being a good episode. It's been a while since I've seen it though. Yeah. So um, we also have um, guy Alec Coulson. We're gonna meet in season eight. He clones in Asgard. He does mm, his own uh-huh. Asgard cl- cloning program with permission of the Asgard, if, if I remember it properly. So mm. there have been... Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. He, well, sort oh, of. He's working with he, the SGC. Working, right. So in that episode, he's he's given some Asgard genetic code uh, to work on their problem because they're dying because they've cloned themselves too much. Uh, and then, uh, so that part is sanctioned, but yeah. then the fact that he takes that and then actually creates a fully formed Asgard clone, uh, is not. And no. then, uh, the Wraith, as we're going to meet in Stargate Atlantis, had a cloning program 10,000 years ago. That's how they defeated the Lantians. Huh. They said, well, our armies aren't big enough. Let's make an army. Kind of like uh, Anubis did when he made the Cole Warriors. The Wraith just uh, make 10,000 more of those guys. Yeah. And that's how they defeated them. But that's, you know, 10,000 years prior to the Atlantis expedition. Although um, there is one last clone in Atlantis. Uh, We got Michael, who's a Wraith human hybrid. Right. If y'all don't know what this is, and this might be a spoiler for you, Zach, because I don't know if you've got this episode. I know Michael, um, you know, yeah. and the idea, and I remember that uh, Dr. Beckett dies yes, in an episode, and that, was and that very is such a terribly sad episode. Yeah. Uh, it just, I, I, I remember watching that for the first time, like, I can't believe they did that. Um, and now this idea of, so I've seen season four before, so I, I've never seen okay. season five of Atlantis I've only seen season four once or probably just once, maybe twice. Yeah, I've only um, seen it once as well. So the the clone of Dr. Beckett, when I first read your show notes here, and I read that, I thought that I'm like, oh, maybe that is a spoiler for me. And yet now as I think about it, I think that uh, I do kind of, you know, remember the, the nigglings of that storyline, but I couldn't pinpoint anything more than that. I it's agree. kind of a spoiler, um, kind of not. Yeah, well, killing off Doctor Dr. Beckett would the fandom hated that, and then bringing him back as a clone was kind of fan service. I would say it's kind of their way of saying, "Sorry, sorry, here he is back." Of course, they gave him a genetic problem; they had to put him in stasis for a while. But then he eventually, you know, got better, so on. Right. So they got got him back. Uh, he doesn't become a, um, a top level character. He becomes an occasional character. He gets sent back to Earth, whatever. But it's another clone, so it's not just Ball that's doing his clones. We've got Asgards, we've got the racist Eurondans, the the Tauri, the Wraith. Everybody's cloning people. Everybody is looking everybody. for a Hawktar. Yeah, everybody wants to make or everybody hawk, better. Whatever. Or, yeah, if you can't beat them, clone them, I guess. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. But, so you see what I mean by a rabbit hole? You give yeah. me one idea. And well, we get all I, I will have to be more careful with my <laughs> words in the <Nope>. future. <laughs> be less careful. I actually kind of enjoy doing all this research. Oh, um, good. 
it's a little time spent in front of a computer, but that's largely my life and my job, so I can do a search. Of course, sometimes my wife would come in here going, Are you coming out for dinner? Yeah, hang on. I gotta research Thoth. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't actually say that, but you know, it's kind of like, oh yeah, I gotta come up and do that. So yeah, there's a lot of information out there. I will say and be perfectly honest, a lot of this comes from uh, Stargate Wikis. Um, okay. There's some Reddit posts that have this. There's some Stargate fan boards that have discussions. There was a, a few years ago, there's an argument going, no, the movie's not canon. Obviously, Rob was not an Asgard, but he looked like an Asgard. No, we don't consider that. He was an Unas. He was an Asgard. He was, a, he was an Asgard, and his name was Famrir. Whatever. I just point <laughs> out stuff of things I found that came up as interesting to me. As always, this is largely based off of this, which is fan conjecture, because the really the only canon is what you've seen on the show. There have been right. books, there have been role-playing games that kind of expand into canon. No, but according to the original RPG, not the one that was on the... Uh, Kickstarter? Yes, so start that again. So not like the Kickstarter RPG, which is kind of a restart on it. There was an older uh, Stargate RPG... Um, I mean, they had an Asgard named Zeus in that one. So I got oh, no idea God. about that one. So, yeah. but I draw from sources like that in my research. And anyone, if they're willing to do a deep dive, could dig into all that. And we all know how easy it is to fall into a Wikipedia hole. And, you know, there's wikis yeah. everywhere. And some yeah. of this is also conjecture on my part and on your part. And based off of knowledge that may or may not be accurate when we're trying to review storylines on there because obviously well, i forgot it was daniel who mixed her D mixed his dna with hathor not jack well you know but of all the things to screw up you know that's a relatively minor point that and i didn't uh, want to watch that episode again fair enough it's not a great episode so uh, we've got goa old breeding harcesis children plural hoctars coal warriors clones what does it all mean? I don't know. What do you think it means, Zach? It means that this is a very rich universe uh, that allows us to play and dig and conject and all of those things uh, to just kind of have some fun. Yeah. So There is um, surprisingly yeah. a lot of stuff out there. When I talk to people about, oh, I'm in involved with this podcast called stargate they go oh yeah i watched a couple episodes it was good i i just go dude there were is 17 years worth of tv based off this show you call oh that was kind of good i say it much yeah. more politely than that but that rich level of background information allows us to dig in and find stuff like that and then you got all the third party sources like the rpg there have been books on stargate i haven't written read any of them Mm -hmm. And then you got the fanfic. I that's not canon, but that's obviously a, a fun path to go down sometime. Yeah. So yeah, so there you is... think about that. Seventeen seasons. That's more than Battlestar Galactica. That's more than Babylon Five. Yeah, both mm -hmm. of them put together. Uh, uh, you know it. Not as much as Star Trek, than, but you know. Not as much as Star Trek. Close um, So well, you know, it's a good second. Yeah. Uh, you do have Supernatural, which is. 
in a genre of relationship, if not in the exact same genre. Right. They've uh, got a lot of something episodes. something like 15-odd yeah. seasons of that. Uh, and that's all one show and not multiple shows. Uh, but, you know, the Stargate is one of those series that you... You don't think about it necessarily, no. but when you when you think about it, you realize seventeen seasons. That's for for a science fiction show to to spawn that much content is enormous. Very very few things have ever come even close. Or uh, the other way to think of it is one movie from nineteen ninety four spawned two you know seventeen seasons, three separate yep. shows, two movies. Two role-playing games, a bunch of books, and a bunch of podcasts. Yeah. So yeah. there's obviously still interest in it because we're talking about it. There's a lot of people stock talking about it as well. And as yep. we know, there's talk of starting it up again. I am. I am really hoping uh, that that they are that uh, Brad Wright specifically is able to get uh, Stargate up off the ground again. And and bring us a new uh, a new series, uh, preferably for me. I would prefer to see something that continues in the same universe, um, you know, pushing it for as opposed to a reboot. Yeah, as far um, as I read, based off of interviews and discussions people are having, it is planned exactly as a continuation. It's a right. It's been ten years. What's happening now? Not like uh, Stargate Infinity, which is actually ten years in our future right now. Because, but so we ignore that one. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. So well, it spawned an animated show too. Uh, but oh, yeah. it is supposed to be a continuation of the storyline. They don't want to reboot, and I, I'm behind that one hundred percent. I don't want to reset because I don't like ignoring continuity, especially yeah. when you got seventeen seasons and three movies of continuity mm -hmm. out there. Mm -hmm. I mean, just to say. Nah, I want to do it over again and forget the go old. Let's just go back to the movie and use that as our starting point again. I'm like, no, 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 that's gonna that. be like Discovery. Yeah, well, let's not talk. This is a Stargate. <laughs> this podcast. is a Stargate podcast, <laughs> and I think we have said Stargate quite a bit in this one. Yeah. Well, uh, David, I have to say thank you very much for taking me down this little rabbit hole. Oh, you're very uh, welcome. It was delightful. Uh, I enjoyed it. I hope that for you, dear Patreon listeners, uh, that uh, this kind of helps uh, you recognize and kind of see and coalesce all of the, the complexities uh, of this. Um, but this is a major thread in Stargate. Um, and it started way back in season one, and it becomes just more and more and more now moving into the second half of Stargate SG-1 yeah. uh, and following. Uh, so hopefully this is helpful for you. Um, yeah, goes again, back it, to the point of this podcast of here's the stuff you should have been paying attention to because absolutely. it may not seem like much, but it's huge. Yeah, yeah. So if you've got any ideas for us, any rabbit holes that we should uh, climb through and uh, dig into, uh, by all means... Let us know. You can email us at walkingthroughthestargate at gmail.com. Of course, find us on Twitter. Find us on Facebook. Um, so, uh, David, I know that we've talked to you about this, and we've teased it on the podcast 
Uh, we have our website domain name. You're going to spoil it on this one, or are you going to give it away um, on the next episode of Walking Through the Stargate? I think that I... I mean, I know what, what it is. Yeah. So, you dear Patreon listeners, I don't know for sure if you'll actually get this before the other one drops or not. Depends on the situation. But I will tell you now. The website is wtts.space. Dot space. Dot space. Nice. So, uh, we have a, um, uh, I don't know if there is anything on there yet or not. Uh, Brent has gone through the process of, of snagging that domain. Um, uh, and, and it's not technically going live, uh, well, until we get something there to go live with, but, um, but our goal is to try to pair that with roughly the hundredth episode of the original podcast. Nice. And all that. So all those kind of hit there and line up together. But WTTS.space, uh, go check it out. Um, see if Brent has had a chance to do anything with that or not. Um, so. I will do so. All right. So I think that about wraps us up here. I think so. Uh, with that, I say I'm Zach. And I'm David. And this has been the other side of the Stargate. See you next time. Bye. We have got the best jobs in the world, don't we? I'm gonna hit the shower. I'm gonna find the doctor. We are indeed suitably employed. <laughs>